0: Insurance and injury Law show, the number anytime, one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. It is uh time for you to send in your questions, ask some questions, emails as well. We'll get to a bunch of those, Savan. Uh James, I know both you guys have stuff to talk about before we get to that. Uh that including the injury calculator as well. So let's uh let's get right to it. Savannah you're first up, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely, John. Sure. All right, let me start off with a question that was posted to one of our websites, mydisabilityquestions.com, which is a free website for people to use, people who are dealing with long-term disability issues with their insurance companies. Uh, you have a question and you want a quick answer for free, just go on that website, post a question, and I will answer it within minutes. So let's start off. Uh, here's a question from Sylvie in Ottawa. She wrote, My physician filled out the short-term disability and it was granted. Uh, Now he won't fill out my long-term disability forms. He said that mental health is a disorder that is not a disability. I would have to be, quote, paralyzed or had a stroke for him to fill out the papers. Now he's not filling out the terminating short-term papers so they cannot get a second opinion from their MD. Now what? So, you know, the, the question is a bit convoluted. Essentially what she's saying is that her family doctor is basically telling her that she will not qualify for long-term disability unless she is, quote, paralyzed or had a stroke. That is nonsense. Not only is it nonsense, it is completely inappropriate for this physician to be giving out this kind of information and advice. It's clearly wrong. He's not a lawyer. He's a doctor. He should be helping her out. He should be filling out the forms as best he can, as her, her her family doctor now, what can she do about that? First thing that came to my mind, which I'm sure would come to anyone's mind who's listening, and who's been listening to us for the last few years, is you have to switch doctors. Clearly, this doctor does not have your best interest at heart, and I say that because again, this doctor is not there to give you legal advice. This doctor is there to treat you, to provide. Uh, you know, the best service that he can for you as a doctor, and one of those things that he can do to help this lady is to fill out these forms. And then the insurance company provides an answer as to whether or not they believe that she qualifies under the policy or not. But he cannot and should not tell her that the only way she would qualify is if she's paralyzed or has a stroke. That is complete nonsense.
2: I, I actually want to throw in my two cents here as well. Doctors have a duty to help their patients. That is fundamental. That does not necessarily mean that the doctor has to support the, their patient's claim. If the doctor legitimately doesn't think that they have this particular disability or that particular injury, that's right. fine. They can come to that opinion. But to just outright refuse to fill out the forms when there is a disability there is you know, completely at odds with what their requirement is. In this particular case, I, I certainly agree with Swan. You, you have to get another doctor. Um, I would consider whether it's something that's worthy of bringing a complaint with the College of Physicians and Surgeons. Um, you know, that may not be a road that you want to go down. But if you're changing doctors anyway, consider that this is someone that clearly does not understand what their obligation is to their, pa- to their patients. And if this doctor is doing this to you, I, I'll bet you that you're not the only person that is getting this kind of treatment. Uh, And, you know, that is something that's not fair. It's, you know, it's preventing you from getting access to the disability insurance that you paid for. It makes no sense. So, you know, I would consider that as a secondary route on top of changing doctors. For your own purposes, yes, you change doctors and you move on with your claim. But consider whether it's something you want to go further with.
1: And, and, you know, the only other thing that I would tell this lady and anybody else in that situation is uh, obviously she's done the right thing by asking that question on the website, and I'm now in touch with this lady. You know, if you're in that situation, obviously we can't help you from a medical standpoint. We can give you advice as to what you should do to strengthen your uh, disability claim. But, you know, once you've gotten over that hurdle, once you've uh, submitted those papers, if the insurance company then comes back and says we don't believe you or disagree that... Uh, you are in fact disabled, even though your own doctors are saying that you are disabled, immediately call us, immediately contact us so that we can review all the medical documents, uh, the policy, the denial letter, and then we can tell you literally within minutes whether or not you have a claim against the insurance company. But again, if you're in that situation where a doctor is not helping you, then definitely consider going to another physician. There's no reason why this doctor is telling this lady this false information. Still got a couple minutes to go in this
0: uh, segment. James, you want to get into something as well, yeah?
1: Sure. I met with a lady last week that had a very
2: interesting um, situation. So she worked for a bank and had access to both short-term and long-term disability benefits and applied for short-term disability benefits due to depression and anxiety. And in the process of doing this, um, it came out that her employer, um, the bank, is the one who is actually paying out benefits were they to be paid out and has hired an insurance company to administer the policy. Right. And that's not an unusual situation. Um, you know, Employers typically are not well-situated to handle these kinds of claims, and they don't have experience in doing that. So they hire insurance companies to administer the policy, but ultimately, the employer is the one that's paying, especially this, hap- this happens most frequently for larger employers. No problem with that um, as a general setup. That happens not infrequently, and that's fine. The issue is what information can be shared as between the insurance company that is administering the policy and the employer who's paying out the policy and is employing that particular person. And there's obviously an issue there because you don't want your employer to know everything that's happening with you medically. There's good reason why you would want there to be a certain amount of privacy. Um, and that that information ought to be protected. And so that's a very good reason why employers who are paying out the benefits hire these insurance companies, is to put up a privacy wall essentially as between themselves and their employees. And so what's happened in this particular case is it appears as though the adjuster working for the insurance company has shared an inappropriate amount of information with the employer. And so that's an issue that um, this lady who saw me has... Uh, brought a complaint with a privacy commissioner of Ontario who is doing an investigation. And we're waiting on that report to see how we're going to move ahead. But it's an interesting situation. And I thought it was something that would be helpful for our listeners just to understand um, how the situation often works, where you have an employer that's paying benefits, but another insurance company that's actually administering the policy and what the relationships are between Yourself, the employer, and the insurance company. It's important to understand that if you think there's an issue uh, with the information being shared, by all means, give us a call, and we can certainly talk you through it.
1: Savannah, what say you? Well, the only point that I was going to add uh, to to what uh, James said is that oftentimes, when you have a situation where the employer is the one who's paying the short-term disability, you know, we we do find that people start having complications with the actual employer, right? Because on the one hand they're paying the short term disability. So there's the disability component. On the other hand, the employer is very anxious for, you know, the employee to either come back to work or to just leave, right? So they they, they don't have to pay the employee the disability benefits and don't have to pay them severance. Right. So again, you know, on many shows we emphasize the fact that in our firm we have not only disability lawyers, but we also have employment lawyers. And so the employment lawyers and disability lawyers often work hand in hand. And that's very, very useful, especially in those situations where the employer is actually uh, on the hook not only for the disability payments short-term, but also for severance in the event that they take an action that is illegal uh, and, and unjustified because the employee is sick. So just keep that in mind. Again, if you have employment types of issues, but also disability types of issues, we can handle both, and that maximizes the amount of compensation you can get if you're in that situation.
0: Take a uh, short break, Savannah. I know there's some things you want to cover from MyDisabilityQuestions.com when we uh, when we come back. The number one as well. And if you haven't had time to check it out, find out what the pain and suffering component of your claim should be. We'll talk about it more in depth, of course, later on. But for uh, the meantime, in the meantime, InjuryCalculator.ca as well. It's the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is the number injurycalculator.ca as well. Uh, Savannah carry on mydisabilityquestions.com talk about the website and you got some things in that regard you want to mention as well, right? That's
1: right. It's a very popular okay. website ever since we launched it a few years ago. Mydisabilityquestions.com. If you have any questions about your long-term disability claim or or perhaps a loved one or friends uh, is is you know experiencing a situation with their insurance company they've been cut off or denied Ltd post that question that you have or they have on that website for free and you'll get an answer within minutes so let's go to one of the uh, the questions that were posted about a week ago or so this comes from um, uh, a lady in mississauga she wrote I was declined Ltd by my insurance company for depression I've been home since October of 2017. I got sick benefits until February of 2018. What can I do to get my claim reinstated? So, again, remember, she was on EI sick benefits and she applied for LTD and she was denied. And she's asking, Can I get reinstated somehow? Well, there is no way to reinstate yourself on LTD if you've been cut off or if you've been denied. Uh, you can try and appeal the decision, which, of course, James and I routinely always say, do not do. Right. And we say that because once you try to appeal that decision, you're essentially letting the insurance company dictate the result, right? When you appeal a denial or a cutoff of your benefits, you are basically going back to the same people who made that initial decision, or perhaps their friends at the next cubicle, and they are going to you know, shoot out essentially the exact same response. So what we recommend is to start a legal claim. Why? Because then we take that decision-making process out of their hands. And, and, you know, we force them essentially to confront the fact that they're going to have to pay legal fees to their their lawyers in the event that we start a legal claim, and they're going to have to at some point come to the realization that, you know, they they have to come to the table to try and resolve the claim with us. And and so, you know, the answer to this lady here who wrote that that question on mydisabilityquestions.com is... Uh, You don't get your claim reinstated once you've been denied or cut off LTD. We have to or we should start a legal claim. That is the fastest route, in, in, in my experience at least, to get the insurance company to the table, to get them to pay the compensation that you deserve.
0: One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is the number keep going what else you got pal
1: Oh okay, so John this this is a question that was posted by uh, by someone else on again mydisabilityquestions.com yeah. and and here's what this lady writes she says my my husband has Crohn's disease and has uh, sorry had ostomy surgery in January of 2018 he has been off work since late December 2017 and is still recovering from a post operative wound which has to be packed daily by a home care nurse yeah. his wound is not healing and is actually getting worse. He may need more corrective surgery to heal the wound properly. He has been denied his disability claim because his Crohn's was a pre-existing condition. He is no longer suffering from Crohn's disease as he's no longer has a colon or a large intestine. He's suffering from post-operative wounds which were not pre-existing. We filed an appeal and this too was denied. We're having great financial difficulties and are not sure what else to do at this point. Now, this deals with specifically the issue of pre-existing conditions, and we see this quite a lot. And what this means is that in in LTD policies, in fact, in the majority of policies out there that insure you uh, for injury or for illness, you're going to have clauses called pre-existing condition clauses. And essentially what those are is those are a way for the insurance company to say, look, you had that condition before we gave you that policy, so therefore you are excluded under that provision. We're not going to pay you the benefits that otherwise you would be getting if you did not have that pre-existing condition. The problem is that in many instances when people contact us, just like with this lady, the actual nature of the disability or or the reason for why this person can't work is not because of the pre-existing condition, but because of a different condition... That perhaps arose from the pre-existing condition, but it's not the pre-existing condition that is actually disabling the person. It's a different condition. And you know, assuming of course that the medical documentation supports what this lady is saying, she would have in fact a legal claim against the insurance company and we would be able to fight back against that denial and get the insurance company to the table and pay her husband compensation. But, you know, it's very important for people to understand that the fact that an insurance company says that we're denying you your claim because of a pre-existing condition, it does not automatically mean that they are correct in saying that you are excluded on the policy. Well, the,
2: the other thing I want to add to that is you want to be very careful in looking at the language of the policy. Now, generally, there are standard terms in most LTD policies that you don't see a lot of variance in. But the exclusions, and in particular, the exclusions for pre-existing conditions can vary widely by policy. And so you want to be very careful in looking at it. And that's especially true. There's very often a distinction between what is allowable for a pre-existing condition if you have a private policy, in other words, one you've gotten on your own versus one that you've gotten um, through a group, um, usually through your employment. For a group, typically speaking, the way that it works is you can have the pre-existing condition that leads to your disability that gets you off work at the time that you are eligible or that you sign up for the insurance, as long as it's not preventing you to work. So in other words, you know, if this gentleman in this particular case had Crohn's disease at the time that his policy went into effect, but he was still continuing to work under that kind of a policy, it still wouldn't disqualify him. Whereas someone who has what might be a more typical private plan, that might disqualify him in that case. So it really depends, and you want to make sure that you take a very good look at the actual wording in the policy because even though you know, they're saying it's a pre-existing condition, that might be fine in the circumstances. You really want to take a look at the language. Typically speaking, if it's a group policy, as long as it hasn't prevented you from working within a finite period of time before the policy came into effect, and within I think usually 90 days afterwards, you're okay. Even if it's a condition that you had before, as long as it wasn't preventing you from working during those times.
0: We'll get to more of these guys and the phone number as well. Anytime you need to get a hold of James or Savan or the rest of the crew, it's 1-888-990-9646. And when we come back, I want to talk about the injury calculator as well. Lots more the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto one is the number any time. Emails as well, you want to send one through, help at the insurancelawyer.ca. Savannah, so, hey, take it away, pal.
1: Okay, one last question that was posted yep. that I want to bring up on, on the website, mydisabilityquestions.com. This one comes uh, from Renee in Sudbury. And, and here's where Renee writes, can I refuse a life coach that my insurance company has hired for me? And he's asking this in the context of a long-term disability claim. And John, I'm going to actually ask James to to answer that. We had a bit of, okay. uh, of a debate yesterday about that. I've never seen that before. I've, I've seen insurance companies recommend uh, physiotherapy treatments, psychological treatments, but a life coach, I have not seen that. Okay. So here here's my gut response to that is, I mean, you could refuse,
2: of course. You're, you're free to do whatever you want, but there's always consequences, and you have to be aware of what they might be. So generally, my approach is if your insurance company is paying your benefits you want to agree to anything that's not going to make you worse off, put you in a worse position, as long as it's a reasonable request. So is this a reasonable request? Well, I don't know. I don't know exactly what they mean by a life coach. It's not a defined type of position. Um, There are all kinds of people that offer services that they may call life coach, but it isn't a regulated profession. So it's not something that I can look at and see this is the definition of what a life coach does. So first, I'd want to see what are the qualifications of this life coach? Are they a medical doctor in any way? Um, do they have you know post-secondary education that's applicable? Um you know, is there any basis to believe, any scientific basis to believe that their treatment is going to be helpful? Um, and you know, is the treatment schedule something that is reasonable? All all these are questions that I would want answered. Having said all that, um, you know, the other element is, if this is someone that they're setting you up with, it's someone that may have a relationship with the insurance company, and you always want to be wary of providing them access to you through the back door, so to speak, in a way that can allow them to build up a case to cut you off. So These are all reasons why I might be hesitant, but my gut reaction is I probably would say, you know what, okay, as long as I can work it in, if it's going to prolong the amount of time, then I'm going to continue to get the benefits. I would probably agree to it, at least initially. But on the other hand, I can imagine a scenario where um, the insurance company has been hyper aggressive and is demanding that you go to all these different assessments and all kinds of unnecessary treatments, and this is just another one in a long line of such things. In that case, at some point, you have to draw the line. And so it really depends on the specific scenario that you're dealing with and the extent to which that this is going to be a hardship for you to attend.
1: Yeah, th- those are those are those are very valid points. Uh, the only other point that I would make in addition to that is that, you know, to the extent that you have a psychologist or a psychiatrist or or some uh, mental health professional that's assisting you uh, with your situation, I, I, I would speak with them about it and I, I would ask them what they think about that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with you getting advice from people who you trust, uh, people who have been helping you, you know, throughout the process to try and get better. I agree with James. I mean, it doesn't hurt to try. But again, to his broader point, which we've talked about before on the show, whenever the insurance company tells you go to this person or go to this clinic, for me, that's that's a red flag. Not because the clinic is bad or this individual they're sending you to, you know, is is not qualified, but because in my mind, I'm thinking there's a reason why they want me to go to that particular clinic, that particular person. Is it because they're going to ask those people down the road if I'm well enough to go back to work? And what are these people going to say? I mean, clearly... The insurance company likes these people. Why do they like these people? Are they getting opinions that are favorable to the insurance company? So, you know, those are all, for me, sort of red flags. But James is right as well. You want to take, you know, a cautious approach. You don't want to give the insurance company uh, reasons for cutting you off. But again, if you have those questions, these kinds of questions, and this is an interesting one, post them on MyDisabilityQuestions.com or contact us directly, and we can have that communication with you and tell you what we think.
2: From a, from a practical perspective, I suspect if you refuse, your insurance company probably will cut you off. Whether that's something that they would be justified in doing is a whole other question. And I generally, I would think that if this you know were to ever land in a courtroom and a judge was taking a look at it, it would be pretty difficult for them to argue that this was entirely necessary, given the lack of definition and what a life coach actually is. It's pretty hard to build a case that that is necessary treatment, but it's not impossible, I suppose. Um, all of which is to again just reinforce the initial point: is it really worthwhile to fight the you know to fight that particular battle? It's probably better off to continue getting the benefits as long as possible.
0: Give me some details on injury calculator just before we break, guys.
1: So, John, that's uh, that's a tool that we've created uh, a few years back. It allows people who've been injured through no fault of their own in Ontario uh, to quickly, uh, free for 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 free, anonymously, just figure out uh, the the starting point of the analysis of how much compensation they could be potentially looking at if they if they started a legal claim. So, for example, you were in a car accident, you're injured your back, you had a concussion you slipped and fell, you broke your knee, any type of injury that you've suffered, again, because of someone's negligence, you want to know what can you be looking at for pain and suffering damages, compensation. You go to this calculator and, uh, you know, you input a few key pieces of information about your accident, about your injury. Uh, It goes through a a database, essentially, uh, a formula that, that, that we've put in, and it tells you here's the range of damages you could be looking at for pain and suffering. For example, you have an ankle fracture, it will probably tell you that, you know, assuming that you can prove your case and your injury is what it is, you could be looking at, let's say, thirty to $40,000 right. worth of compensation for your ankle. But remember, that's for pain and suffering only. If there's been an impact because of this injury on your ability to work, if there are extra expenses now in your life, for example, you had to hire someone to uh, do lawn maintenance or clear the snow or cook for you or whatever those expenses are, those are added compensation, added categories of compensation above and beyond your pain and suffering. And so when you when you use that tool, and it takes about 10 to 20 seconds to complete, uh, at the end, if you want to have a conversation with us about your specific case, you can just click the button submit, and then we get that, and then we form that uh, contact with you, and we can talk about your specific case. But at least it's a starting point, you don't have to call any lawyers, you don't have to email anyone, you just want to know, what is my injury worth, What what could I be looking at potentially? for compensation for my pain and suffering for my injury.
0: Again, injurycalculator.ca is where you want to go for that email as well, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. That is exactly where we're going to bounce over to after a short break on the insurance and injury law show. This is Global News Radio, 640 Toronto, one The email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Before we get to uh, Dale's email, uh, James, you wanted to mention something about the uh, the calculator, yeah?
2: Well, not really about the calculator per se, but when right. Savon was explaining it, he said, you know, if you've been injured through no fault of your own... And it occurred to me that, well, that's not necessarily the case, not to correct my good friend here. Uh, But, you know, you may be out there and you may have been involved in an accident uh, and you may be partially at fault, even mostly at fault. That does not necessarily mean that you don't have a claim. Let's say, for example, you were going through uh, an intersection and you're making a left-hand turn. Now, if you make a left-hand turn and a car hits you coming the other way going through the intersection, there is a presumption that you are at fault, and typically speaking, you will be. And you may even be charged for that, and you may even be convicted of making a dangerous turn. But even in that scenario, even if you're convicted of making a dangerous turn, that does not necessarily mean that you are 100% at fault. If the other car going through the intersection, for example, was speeding, or was talking on their cell phone, or was doing both, they're going to be, they're going to bear some if not even a significant share of the responsibility and if that is the case even if you bear some of the responsibility you have a claim you have the basis to bring a claim it's going to be reduced by your portion of the responsibility or liability as we refer to it but you still have the right to bring a claim in those circumstances so don't necessarily be afraid um, that you know. don't don't think that you don't have any claim just because you are mostly at fault or even if you've been charged by all means, give us a call, and we can walk you through it. And if there is a basis to bring a claim, we're more than happy to speak
1: to you about it and, and you know give you your options to go from there. John, I just want to add to that. Yeah. I, in, in fact, I do stand corrected. I 100% agree with what James said. And you know it brings to mind, when I used to do defense work for insurance companies, there was a claim that I had worked on with one of the partners at, at the firm uh, where I was at, where it was a significant claim. It was a pedestrian that was hit by a car, and it came out that the pedestrian was jaywalking, and was intoxicated. And long story short, we're talking about catastrophic type of injuries that this person suffered. But, you know, the reality was that this pedestrian was mostly at fault. And, and you know, the settlement of that case, just to give you an idea, the, the damages, the amount of yeah. the injuries that this person suffered, the quantum of damages... Irrespective of who was at fault, were in the millions. Wow! And so, at the end, a settlement was concluded with the insurance company whom we were presented uh, at that time uh, for just ten percent of the claim. In other words, we basically agreed on a resolution where we had agreed that the insurance com- sorry that the pedestrian was ninety percent at fault, but because his injuries were in excess or worth in excess of two million dollars he got 10% of that as a settlement so he got over $200,000 for compensation so you understand to make james's point you can have a situation where you are you could be largely at fault but you're still entitled to a portion of compensation that is just simply relative to your portion of fault So, very good point. And, you know, if if people are out there in that situation, you know somebody who is in that situation and he's been told, they've been told by another lawyer, you have no case, don't simply assume you have no case. Feel free to give us a call, contact us. Again, it's not going to take long for us to assess whether or not we can do something for you. And if we can, we will tell you that. And if we can't, we will be very blunt and tell you that we can't. But you know it doesn't cost you anything to contact us and to have that conversation.
2: And And actually, even if you're one hundred percent at fault, let's say it's a single car accident right. and you go off the road with no other cars in sight, you still have access to accident benefits, which is something we talk about frequently on the show if it's a motor vehicle accident. Um, and those can be very significant if your injuries are of the catastrophic variety. So regardless of your situation, if you've been injured, even if you think it's mostly your fault, That shouldn't prevent you from giving us a call and discussing your case.
0: You know, we're going to take a uh, break before I get in this email, because that'll take some time to answer. The number is uh, 1-888-990-9646. If you haven't checked it out already, we talked about it in the uh, the last segment, injurycalculator.ca. Find out exactly get a, a good ballpark number anyway of what your pain and suffering should be worth in your particular case. And emails, of course, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. It's the Insurance and Injury Law Show, and this is Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. one 9646 is the number. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to Dale. Says, uh, guys, I was denied short-term disability due to a lack of enough medical proof that I am disabled. Even though my family doctor and psychologist both say I can't work, should I apply for LTD to see what they will say? Uh, it's a different insurance company.
2: Absolutely. Um, in fact, you have to. If you don't apply for a long-term disability um, through the other insurance company, then you don't have a basis to bring a claim because um, they haven't actually had a chance to consider your 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 case. And in fact, even if it's the same insurance company that is uh, that has denied your short-term disability and they also are the carrier for your long-term, I would still say you should go through the formal process of applying. There's no reason not to, even if it's pretty obvious from their denial of your short-term that they're going to deny your long-term. You don't want to give them any basis down the road to say that you haven't in any way technically complied with the, with the terms of the policy, which require you to submit an application within X number of days of your
1: eligibility for benefits. So yes, absolutely apply. John, just one thing about that. Uh, if, if you're in that situation, you have uh, been denied short-term disability, mm-hmm. Uh, you haven't applied yet for LTD, but you're going to, still give us a call and let's discuss your short-term disability situation. And and by the way, at the same time, we can guide you and tell you how to strengthen your LTD application so that hopefully you get approved. And of course, if you get approved for LTD, well, then we turn back to the short-term disability insurer and tell them, you know, what what are you guys doing? I mean, clearly the person was approved for LTD. You should be paying the STD portion. And if not, we're going to start a legal claim against you. So, you know, don't think that if you've been denied STD and you're in the process of applying for LTD, we can't have that conversation. Again, the, the, the uh, earlier, um, you know, we can, we can speak about your case, uh, the, the more of a chance there is, the, the higher of a probability there is that we can make sure that you are, in fact, uh, approved for LTD. And if not, that we set it up such that if we have to start a legal claim against the LTD insurer, we don't lose any time. We do it almost immediately.
0: If you haven't written this number down yet uh, during the course of the show, do so: one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. So. Disabled person dealing with an adjuster, a case manager who's aggressive, they're mean on the phone, they're you know, giving them more stress or you know they're threatening to cut them off. How do you deal with that uh, that adjuster? How should they deal with that adjuster?
1: John, this is something that we see quite a lot, unfortunately, and you know, one of the main things that I come across when I speak with people and, and they retain us to help them with their disability claim is not so much that we tell them, here's what we can do for you in terms of compensation and getting the insurance company to the table. It's that, finally, we are the ones dealing with the insurance company. The phone calls to them stop. The letters to them stop. The emails stop. We are now the wall. We're the barrier between the individual who can focus on getting better and the insurance company. So, you know, here are my tips to you if you are dealing with a difficult adjuster or a case manager. First of all, understand that you have a right to be treated with dignity and respect. There's literally zero reason why an adjuster is aggressive with you or threatening. You can demand to speak with the adjuster's manager. And you know, oftentimes, that will actually do something. I mean, people don't like to have you know their superiors come down on them and say, what's going on there with, with your claim? So you know, you could potentially be able to uh, uh, diffuse the situation with the adjuster or perhaps even get your, your adjuster uh, switched to someone else. Confirm all conversations in writing uh, by email if you want so that there is a record. That is also very, very important. If you are speaking with an adjuster on the phone uh, or in person, if there is an interview or anything of the sort, always make sure you confirm things that were said via email. Those are records. Those are records we can rely on subsequently later on if there is a discrepancy in terms of what was said, by whom, etc. Now, if you are told that you will be cut off or you are threatened of being cut off LTD, contact us immediately. Don't simply assume that everything is still okay because nothing has actually happened. That's not true. Something has happened. You have been threatened with a cutoff or you've been told that in a week, in a month, in six months, you will be cut off. Don't think that the insurance insurance company is not going to follow through on that. They will. As soon as they put that in their system, that in six months or a month or a week, your benefits stop, they will stop. That means no more money coming in. You know, I, I, to tell you how many times, John, I've had people contact me telling me that, you know, yeah, I, I actually got that notice that my benefits were going to cut off, get cut off. That was three months ago. But, I, I you know, I thought that I could persuade them and convince them to maybe, uh, you know, reconsider no. their decision. You're not going to be able no. to do that. It's not going to happen, okay? So give us a call as soon as you think your benefits are going to get cut off, even if it's six months from now or nine months from now. Because we could potentially uh, get in there, intervene, and either get the insurance company to back off or set it up so that if we have to start a legal claim, the amount of time that you are without money is minimized or perhaps even eliminated. So, yeah, just picking up on what Sivan was saying, um,
2: my biggest, uh, my most frequent piece of advice for people that are in this situation is what Sivan said, which is uh, making a record of everything and emailing that to the adjuster. And I think you will find if you do that, you're going to see a change in behavior pretty quickly. Because what happens there is it puts it in you know, black and white, everything that they've said and everything that they've done. There's now this record of it that they can't refute. If they, if they take any issue with anything that you say they've said, then they're going to have to say that right then and there. They're going to have to correct whatever's in that email and say, oh, no, I never said that, which is fine. In other words, if they're telling you that you have to do X and Y, and you email them back and say we had a conversation and you said I had to do X and Y. Well, if they don't wanna be held to that, then they're gonna have to deny that they ever said that, which is great. Now you no longer have to do X and Y. But if they don't respond back to it, if they don't deny it, then they can't deny in the future that that's what they've said. Because you have put it to them, they have it, they received the email, and they never corrected you on it. So no one's gonna believe them six months or a year down the road, oh no, I never said that. Well, if you never said it, why didn't you say that when you got the email that confirmed that you said it? No one's going to buy that. So as soon as they see it, it changes behavior very quickly.
0: one is a number. We'll uh, get to an email from someone who's actually in the medical field and wants to, uh, wants to comment on what we do here every week. We'll get to that. Injurycalculator.ca. You want to find out what the pain and suffering component of a claim should be. That is the place you need to go, and emails as well, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. one 990 the number any time. Get a hold of James, get a hold of Savan, get a hold of the team. That is the number you want, and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Sarah, right out of the gate here, says, I'm a psychologist and I've had several patients cut off long-term disability. against gains my advice that they should continue to be off work. Your show has been very educational, and I tell my patients to listen. My concern is that every time I communicate with insurance adjusters, I get increasingly frustrated by their lack of understanding and cold approach to my patients' situations. I'd like to discuss some of these situations with you, if that is possible. I can tell you that many of my colleagues feel the same way. And would appreciate being able to speak with you about how to uh, better help their patients when it comes to dealing with insurance companies. Any advice you can share in this regard would be greatly, greatly appreciated.
2: Sarah, thank you so much for this email. I really appreciate it. We all do. Um, And I can tell you right off the bat that you're already doing the biggest thing that you can do to help your patients. And that is that you care. You're invested in their care. You're invested in their future. And that is great, and that shows. And you know we can juxtapose that with the email that Savon read from Sylvia at the top of the show, who had a doctor that you know was trying to give her legal advice. Um, and was telling her that he wouldn't fill out the forms unless she was um, you know, catastrophically impaired or however he put it, which is ridiculous. So it's great that you care enough that you're not only helping your patients, but you're listening to the show and you're advising them um, to get proper advice and you want to help. The one thing I will tell you that you can do as a physician and that your friends can do is make sure that when you are um, in a situation where you're being I'm um, asked to provide your records and to fill out forms, that you do it thoroughly. And I trust, you know, anyone in Sarah's position who's taking the time to write us is probably doing that anyway. But it's really important that when you go through those forms, you don't do it in a cursory way. You take your time and you go through each section of it and you fill it out as much as possible, which I know can be a pain in the butt. Nobody likes doing paperwork. Um, Lawyers certainly aren't any different. I know doctors generally don't enjoy that part of their job, but it is important. And I say that because insurance companies will use whatever you put in there in any way that helps them even if it's absolutely absurd. So I had a case, and I've talked about it on the show several times, where a GP had indicated that his patient had severe depression and had severe limitations. And there was a area where it asked to list the symptoms. And he just didn't put anything down in there. And there were tons of symptoms listed in his medical chart. He just didn't put them on the form. Right. And so, of course, the insurance company gets that. And even though and, you know, this patient's uh, doctor is saying he has severe depression and severe limitations, the insurance company says, well, your doctor says you don't have any symptoms. And therefore, you don't qualify as totally disabled. Now, of course, that's entirely untrue. His doctor never said he didn't have symptoms, he just didn't list them out. But that's something that insurance companies will do if you're not thorough when you fill out those forms. So please take your time going through them, and put as much detail as you can. I know it isn't an enjoyable part of
1: your job, but that is something that you can do that will help. Yeah, I mean, John, the the, the other uh, points that I wanted to make here is that, you know, it, you have to be very careful as a health practitioner in terms of how you respond to, to adjusters because adjusters will oftentimes contact you directly and they will have follow-up questions. And many of those questions are going to be leading type questions. For example, uh, you may say that your patient needs 10 sessions of cognitive behavioral therapy or physiotherapy, for example. And the adjuster may then ask you, well, do you believe that following your treatment plan, your patient will be able to go back to work? Well, you may be tempted to say, I think so. But the more accurate answer is, we will evaluate their ability to work and functional capacity after the treatment plan is submitted. So you have to be careful in how you, you know, specifically answer questions from the adjusters in addition to providing very comprehensive reports.
2: The other thing, Sarah, that you really have to appreciate is that this is all about control, and the insurance companies have all of the control until you bring it into the legal process. So as much as you know, your heart is certainly in the right place in wanting to help your patients, the real answer to this may be if you're already being thorough in the way you go through it and if you're already being careful and the adjusters are still taking ridiculous positions, which happens all the time, the reality is that there may be nothing more that you can do and it's just that they have you know, decided that they are going to cut off as many people as they can. And that's really unfortunate and that is what we deal with day in and day out. But as long as you are doing everything you can to help your patient, then that's about the extent of it. And you know, I wish there was more that you could do, and I wish there was more that we could do before our before our clients are cut off. But up until the time when they're cut off and we bring a legal claim, the insurance companies have that control.
1: John, just just a uh, broader point, uh, yeah. following up on this. So Sarah's question is is very apropos it's, it's very relevant to many practitioners who are listening to the show be you know be they uh, medical doctors uh, surgeons uh, family doctors psychologists psychiatrists even you know physiotherapists social workers occupational therapists these are all people who struggle with these kinds of dilemmas when they are when they know that their patients are unable to go back to work at this point in time and the insurance company takes an opposite view uh, with no basis for doing so and so what's happened because of our uh, exposure in the media, not just on this radio show but on tv and and you know just commenting on on various cases uh, throughout the media in paper, TV radio, et cetera, is that uh, quite a few practitioners out there have actually reached out to us not only to ask specific questions about patients that they have without of course disclosing any uh, yeah. confidential information but they've also just wanted to get educated and understand how can they help their patients better. And many times that forges relationships with us such that they actually end up telling their patients to just call us because they know that, you know, we're going to tell their patients not only the truth, but we're going to give them accurate information about disability claims, and we're going to tell them here's what you can do and here's what you can't do, and we can guide them. And and, and so that's something that I want to put out there to other health professionals don't hesitate to contact us, don't hesitate to have you know your patients contact us in confidence, and we can help them again. This doesn't cost anything. It allows us to provide accurate information for people who are legitimately struggling with these you know billion dollar companies that seem to run the world, you know, but they don't they don't they are answerable to the law, and as soon as as James put it, we put this process uh, into the legal arena as soon as we start a legal claim when they've cut off or denied a a, a disability claim uh, when they should not have, we take the control out of their hands and they come to the table. Invariably, they come to the table and we settle these claims. We settle these claims for what uh, these individuals ought to have received in the first place.
0: Good for another week, guys. Great stuff there. If you uh, have any questions as we're wrapping it up here for another week, you can ask James Savan anytime, the number one 990 9646 There's an email option as well. That is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And finding out what the pain and suffering component of a case should be, there is a calculator for that. It is free, is it anonymous, and it's very simple to use. You can check it out. You can either walk away anonymous or you can get in contact with the guys. Uh, at that point, for more information, and that is injurycalculator.ca as well. Till next time, the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.